Welcome to Better Roads, a podcast with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Everyone has a story to their journey, and God loves to participate in those stories. Join Randall as he explores another Better Roads adventure. Thanks for joining us on Better Roads, where we explore and learn about the personal journeys of people and the roads they take along the way. And our guest today is my friend, Jim Beard. Jim, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. You know, how long have we known each other? Maybe like, you know, a hundred years or something like that, do you think? Well, I was just shy of that. I would say probably closer to around 50, but okay. yeah, pretty close. <laughs> Let's go with that. Otherwise, you'd be a lot older. Otherwise, it was a hundred years. So, what, uh, Jim, after serving in various facets of ministry, uh, you've been a pastor, and uh, more recently, you served as a regional director for Open Bible. Then you moved into what we officially would call retirement, and that you you know you retired from that full time paying job. And what's cool about you is you have found a new chapter of life and that you have become what truly is a prolific author. So uh, let's start off here. Let's give us an overview of the books you've written, because I know they're ongoing. There are more you're working on, but what's what's been done to date? Well, to date, I've written three spiritual growth books. Uh, the first one was uh, based on my doctoral thesis, The Proximity Factor. Second is called The Providence Factor, based on what God does providentially to shape the life of a leader. And the third, um, I got the idea for the title actually from you, and you'll remember this. I think we were in uh, Miami at the time or someplace, and you said, well, why don't you follow the pursuit factor when I told you I wanted to write a, another book about the, um, the difference between faith and fear. And so the third book of that series is The Pursuit Factor. And then I wrote, a, I wrote uh, my first novel called, uh, not in that order necessarily, but uh, I wrote The Reunion. Uh, which is a standalone book. Um, it's a book that you can give to anybody and they can they can see a, a way to, to God through that book. Um, and I'm, I'm going to describe that a little later as we go on. But after the reunion came, A Face in the Crowd, it's kind of a modern day uh, story of a prodigal son. Uh, the reunion was kind of a modern day Joseph. And um, then after that, I started a series called the Adrian Chandler series. He's a detective in Tampa, but the first book is the beginning of, of this incredible journey that this man has been on. And uh, I just finished the second book, um, Point of Balance, and the third book, Carbon Copy, will be out at the end of August in that series. So I've, to date, I've got seven, seven books completed, and I'm, I'm working on my eighth. Man, you are cranking them out. And, and, I know I'm I'm behind. I haven't read all those. The ones I've read are excellent. Uh, my wife Barbara has helped with proofing some of them, and she's told me they are really good. And I'm hearing that from other people too. So uh, you're getting an audience. I want to talk to you about that in a little bit. But let me go back at the beginning, though. I want to go back to the Genesis. Here's a guy who has written this many books. How did all that start? When when did you get the idea that hey maybe I should write a book? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I've always enjoyed writing, and uh, I would say that the beginning, my genesis in writing was was manuscripting my sermons when I was pastoring. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to chase rabbits. You know me well, and <laughs> you've gone on a few rabbit hunts with me. So um, when I preach, you know, nobody wants to listen to a guy that's wandering all over the place. And so yeah. I, I had to start manuscripting. And uh, later, all those manuscripts um, were still there. And in fact, the second book, Providence Factor, uh, my wife encouraged me to make that into a book because it was a the last series that I preached at Fort Des Moines Open Bible before leaving to become the executive director in the Southeast region. And uh, so I, but I would write for, for uh, special um, events like Christmas Eve and Easter. And there were stories that I had written that had value and purposeful direction to finding Christ. And uh, the first one of those that I did was um, called the, um, turning point. It was an Easter story about a family that was all messed up and, and through God's design brought back together. Uh, but the second one, the, uh, the uh, reunion was part of a Christmas Eve vignette that I would, I would write. It was going to start, it started out to be a short story, in fact, and it became a book, <laughs> you know, about a 200 pages in. I thought, you know, I can't shut this thing down. It's a short story. <laughs> so uh, my, my current writing is an expression of an interest that has been cultivating in me over and over, uh, kind of ruminating and yes. coming to fruition. And you know me well enough to know that my mind is like a TV set that keeps changing channels. <laughs> You've been in a few uh, board meetings with me where you'd call on me for an answer, knowing that my mind was out in the fields, wandering around somewhere, looking for a, a daffodil. Uh, you were writing that next book. All that, as it turns out, you were just writing that next book. <laughs> well, there's, there's hope for refurbished sermons too, is what you're saying, because that's the seed for some of what you've written. I am. And you know, pastors got to uh, come to that place. They just need to come to that place where if they don't manuscript, they should, because they will eventually be able to impact more people with a written word than they ever could with the spoken word. And that's my prayer for me. I've preached a lot of sermons over the years. Nobody remembers them. But if they have a book, they've got a record of the account. And so I intend to do, uh, last last year I wrote three books, uh, two novels and one spiritual growth book. This year I'll probably end up writing three novels or three books again. Um, I'm going to write the third in the series of the Adrian Chandler series, and then a book to be announced after that for the last half of the year. And so it, it's not, you know, once you get into a rhythm, it's not as hard to write a book as a lot of people. Oh, I could never write a book. I could, you know, I just really, no, anybody can write a book and uh, you have to be a good writer. You have to understand English. If you don't have those things, you need a good editor. <laughs> Still need one of those anyway, probably, huh? Well, most pastors could could publish their sermons uh, if they could codify them into a form that was culturally re- culturally relevant um, and biblically sound. Um, that would be well. That's great insight for pastors. That uh, uh, there's there's hope for reaching a much broader audience, as you said, with your book than you do just preaching at one time. So. Here's the thing that fascinates me about your writing. You know, usually you think of authors and they have a niche. You know, there, there's a niche like, you know, like the leadership books or the, the, the spiritual development books. There are novels, uh, but you dip into all of those waters. Uh, you clearly have 
a, a, a broad range of writing and uh, they all attract different audiences, I would think. So uh, let me ask you, does, does one type of writing influence the other? Uh, do they, do they help one another? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I might just um, slow down just a minute to say that any book that I write is a book of value without vulgarity of hope without uh, just some hapless wandering. And um, they both derive, you know, the spiritual growth books and the novels, they both derive from my desire to introduce people to Christ. Uh, I think the spiritual growth books give Christians food for thought and the novels contain realistic situations in which people need to navigate from one dilemma to a point of resolve and, and they need it somewhere. They need to find it somewhere. Issues like forgiveness, unforgiveness, abandonment, bitterness, resentment, mm -hmm. hatred. Uh, the latest series I'm doing uh, is, is partially on, on uh, racism and finding forgiveness through a, a terrible, uh, terrible life situation that this family found themselves in. And uh, so I, I want people to be able to give these books as gifts, knowing that they're not going to offend, but they're going to appoint people to Christ. They're not religious. Well, especially the novels, they're not religious. The spiritual growth ones tend to be more theological, but um, they're not religious. They're not preachy. Um, they're developed in such a form that anybody can find hope and find their way to God. And so that's my hope and prayer. That's very insightful self-analysis about this. So uh, I'm going to go back again to ask you, does one type of writing influence the other? And maybe I should uh, uh, add on, do you, do, you, do you stand one track for a while and then shift to the other? Or do you simultaneously, are you writing, you know, one in the spiritual direction, one in the, the novel? How, how do you do all of that? I have varied interests. Um, I, as you know, I, I love theology. I love, I love the study of God. I love the app practical application of a positive faith in, in Christ. I, I love that. And I want to put it into a form where people can use it um, more easily than some theological treatise. And so I have, I have a love of spiritual things and I have an imagination that just won't quit. And, it seems yeah. like God's given me an outlet for that imagination. Yeah. And uh, writing is not hard for me. Writing is, I sit down and I've got, I've got 10 pages done before I even know what I've done. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's a gift from God. And do you remember the, uh, the widow with a cruise of oil, a little bit of grain? Yeah. Yeah. And the prophet came to her and said, what do you have? And she says, I just have this, this, little bit of oil and he says well find as many vessels as you can and pour that oil into those vessels and i'm sure she was wondering where this was all gonna end up but uh she did as she was instructed and uh as you as you know from the narrative uh she filled many vessels with that oil right. until yes. until she ran out of vessels and my desire is to be that cruise of oil that pours into other vessels. That's why we teach a class in writing at our church. That's why we try to uh, help people get published. Uh, Chris and I are both editing and auditing books for people and, and trying to help them uh, get started. We've had um, one lady 
uh, from our last class published her first book and now she's working on her second one. She's just excited about it because uh, everybody has a voice. Everybody mm -hmm. has a story. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a life and everybody has right. learned lessons from that, that life and their story. And that is their story. What the lessons they've learned from, from life. And so that's just, uh, I'm, I'm not retired from ministry in, in my mind. Uh, my ministry now is, is to try to unlock the potential in people who have a story that they want to tell. And so, well, that's what we're doing here in Better Roads. Uh, we, everybody has a story to tell. You're, you're telling your story to us. So um, I, I've got to ask this because I always wonder this, but people who are novelists, who crank out these novels like you do, um, okay, you have this prolific imagination. Those times when you said, you know, at board meetings, you were out somewhere walking through the flowers. That was all your, that was all of your research and your homework for preparation for today, you know, with your fertile imagination just working. So now you're just trying to catch up with your imagination, I think. So, but, but here's the question. When you start writing a novel, do you know the end of it when you begin writing? Or does that just sort of come to you while you're, while you're working through this? How does that work? This is going to sound flaky, okay? But honest to God, this is, this is the truth. I asked God to give me an anointing for writing these things. And he said, I'm not going to give it all to you up front. Hmm. Just get started. It's like a walk of faith, a step of faith. Yes. And every time that I write a book, I don't know how it's going to end until the last chapter. Then all of a sudden, and I'm in prayer, or I'm at, I'm at prayer meeting at church on Tuesday night, or in praise service uh, on Sunday morning, and I'm praising the Lord. And it's just like um, the Holy Spirit downloads the resolve of that story mm. into my heart. And I, and I mean, it's just like, uh, it's just like something I've never experienced before to ask God to give me the insight to be able to write these books so that it all is not dependent upon my imagination. And so that way, God knows I need him and he knows I'll ask. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just told us that in essence, you've told us you have an anointing to write then. This is what the Holy Spirit is unpacking for you. Well, whether I do or not, I ask for it. And I ask that, that I was, would be able to affect more people with a written word in my latter years, that my latter years would be more productive than my former years. So I believe God is starting to set that table for me now. I, you know, I believe that. And so let me pose this question for you. How do interested readers find your books? And maybe adding on to that, how do your books find readers? Because as you said, this, this hope and the desire and prayer that God would give you a greater influence now than in your earlier years, well, how do people find your books? But I really am curious to know how you think your books find them. How's this all working? Well, there is, uh, fortunately, there's word of mouth. And, uh, you know, somebody reads my book and, and they talk it about. Um, but there's also Amazon, and my books are available through Amazon on uh, in paperback or the Kindle version. Right now, we're buying equipment and getting ready to start producing audiobooks. Mm. And uh, you have that's a expensive process, and uh, it's kind of a tedious process as well. So that's our next agenda in writing for both of us to get our books into audiobooks, so that people who don't read a lot can listen to it in their car or in the workshop or wherever 
they might be. And uh, as far as advertising, um, we put the word out to a couple companies that make movies, Christian movies, and or wholesome movies, and uh, they were interested. And so we're still kind of up in the air over that. But uh, that's exciting. These are good stories that that will make good movies. The heartfelt stories yeah. that will touch hearts. Kind of kind of a Christian hallmark. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, may that happen. What's that? I said, may that happen. May the Lord give you favor with those movie producers. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I, like I say, we just, uh, interesting thing, we just had lunch after church Sunday with a couple whose, uh, whose children are in the Liberty University, a Regent, Regency University um, media department. They're looking for, right now, looking for wholesome stories to make into movies. Hey. And, and that might just be another one of those um, God moments, you know, where we meet people and we connect with somebody because God's going to connect all the dots. He told me right now, don't worry about getting the word out. You just write, you do what I told you to do and I'll take care of the rest. I'll make the connections. I'll bring the providential uh, meetings to place. And uh, so I'm going to trust him in that. Well, that's exciting, Jim. So, you know, you've told us that, uh, here's my picture that you sort of have to write to keep up with what's cooking inside. Uh, you're not, right. you're not someone who's hung up with writer's block very much. It would appear you, you just write to keep up, which is a uh, fantastic. So let's talk about the discipline of writing for a moment. Do you, do you carve out a period of time every day systematically for writing or do you just, you know, as the inspiration hits you, just get rolling and keep going with it. How's that work for you? Well, typically the morning is best for me. I'm fresh and my coffee is usually just kicked in. And, uh, and for me, it seems to come naturally. I love writing. And like I say, this is the medium that God gave me to release my imagination. So I, I want to uh, write. My goal is to write 10 clean pages a day when I write. Um, but um, the morning is usually best for me. And I have to, uh, like I, I play pickleball with my wife. And so I have to coordinate that as well. But when you only have two major things on your agenda, it's pretty easy to find time to write. <laughs> Between writing and pickleball, you have to adjust all that though in your schedule. So, <laughs> yeah. so how do you, how do you make the characters in your novels come alive for your readers? What, what is it you do to, to engage your readers and pull them in? They're real people dealing with real issues, both mild and extreme that we all face. Uh, these books provide hope and direction in navigating through those issues and finding their way to Christ. Um, I, I'm a big fan of cops and robber stories. And if anybody's ever watched very many cops and robbers series on TV, you know, there's vulgarity and, yes, and there's, yes. you have to filter that out and you have, you have to see what the author or the writer of the story is. I know they're trying to make it culturally relevant with all the cuss words and stuff, but um, if I just say, well, I'll never listen to anything that has a cuss word in it. Well, then I think I'd miss a lot of um, opportunity to, to redeem a medium that God has, um, God has given, I think, to Christians. And so um, the re real people dealing with real issues and um, 
I don't struggle with developing a, a character. I, I, I sit down and I write an outline when I start. Um, I write a list of characters. I keep that at the side of my computer so that I can refer back to a guy's name. You know, when I name him, I say, oh, this is this is Bravo One. He's he's Sergeant so-and-so at Tampa Police Department, blah, blah, blah. So you see the cast so, of characters to begin with. Yeah. Well, and some of those characters, you know, as the story develops, obviously there's a need to develop some more characters uh-huh. to fulfill those parts. So I put those on my other list saying, okay, this is a new character and this is who he is and what he does. And so later when I'm trying to refer back to something that happened in the book, I can look at my outline to see when it happened so that I can keep it consistent. And uh, my proofers are real good. They've, they caught a couple, um, couple inconsistencies in my last book and mm-hmm. and all i had to do is go in and change one sentence in one place and it made the whole thing consistent again so uh, i have a system for writing i have a system for formatting for uploading for developing covers and 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 internal contents and so after you've done a few books you just get to where you know you don't have to keep doing this over and over and over you can right. make your own they call it a macro you can make your own macro and and so everything comes out the same. So you're pretty systematized. Then it comes. It just uh, the, the, there aren't elements getting in your way. Then intruding. You know your system. So you've said uh, you know you your prayer is that this season of life and this this uh, arena of writing would be more influential than even your earlier years. That will happen because of the people who read your books. But Jim, I'd. I'd like to think also that influence would extend to people, someone who's listening today, and also feel some kind of urge to write. And maybe they haven't done this yet, like you have. What kind of coaching or encouragement would you give them today? For somebody who is feeling an urge to write, I would uh, I would tell them to read a lot. Good writers are good readers, and. Uh, one lady in our class said, well, I don't read hardly anything. And I wanted to say, well, <laughs> lots of luck when you're writing, you know, because you, you gain from other readers. I, I've read, I've read the top writers of the day, um, like Tom Clancy and Clive Kessler, you know, for instance, I think that Clive is a great writer, but he's, but I, I, I could never write that descriptively. He took a page and a half to describe the rivulets of, of water coming off this guy's surfboard and prismatic colors and everything else. And, <laughs> and I don't quite go that far, but I tell people read a lot of books. I read 30, 40 books a year. And uh, it's not that hard. Uh, begin to keep track of ideas about which they like to write. You know, I, I have a notebook that I jot down ideas because I'll be driving somewhere and I'll get an idea for a book. And I'm kind of a sappy person. And uh, so the, the Hallmark thing kind of appeals to me, but Hallmark is kind of can also be kind of sterile in that it is the same outcome, the same uh, format, the same progression, every story. You no, can predict no. How it's Serious? Really? Is that- <laughs> <laughs> well, those are the, that's the version. But anyway, um, keep, a, keep a notebook of ideas about what you'd like to write and then submit it to somebody who knows how to get from point A to point B. And that's why we teach our class. Uh, we bring people in who, and we ask them the first thing right up front, what is it you want to write about and who do you want to reach? And so that's where we start. And then we tailor each, each approach. Uh, we teach that writing class in our church and we have 
um, for about two years now. We get excited when we see somebody come in with that look in their eye that says, will you really help me get this mm-hmm. in book form? Because, and you'd have, you'd have to been there when we did it, but when we put the final uh, text in for this lady's book and she pushed the return button to upload it and then uh, it shows exactly what it's going to look like and everything. And she saw the book cover. I think uh, Kindle direct publishing is very good for people that want to get published. Uh, it's not, it's not a low quality way to, to write books. It's it's, I think it's God's gift. You know, it's a benefit to anybody that wants to write a book because first of all, with a publisher, you're going to pay 10 to $12,000 for them to consider mm-hmm. your book. And then they'll mm-hmm. write They'll decide when they want to publish it, if ever. They'll also have to decide what's your readability, what's your reading audience. You know, you've got to have so many thousands of people that want to read your book before they'll even publish to that because it's a cost for them too. Direct publishing um, uh, bypasses that whole system and, and you can get your books out and you can be recognized and you can get discovered. Maybe then a big publisher will pick you up and pay you for it. You know, what you're worth. But if you're writing to make money, forget about it. You know, you got to write your message out. And God will bless it. If it's good, God will bless it. God will take care of it. And so that's that's what I tell people. I don't want to pour cold water on people's enthusiasm. I wanna I wanna fuel it and nurture it and enable it along so that they can realize their potential. That is some great rich counsel for anyone today who's contemplating or feels maybe a little bit of an itch to write. Um, Jim, I uh, was thinking, uh, meant to ask you, if someone is interested in getting your books, if they would go to Amazon and in that search field, if they just write in uh, Jim Beard, B-E-A-I-R-D, I think it would bring up your books, wouldn't it? It would, Jim Beard books. And uh, it'll also try to Swap you over to Jim James Beard, the cook. And oh, you have yes. Say, well, no, no, it's not that one. It's, so you touch the line below it, and it's Jim Beard, and then all my books will come up. And uh, they're they're in Kindle and paperback, both. Uh, as you know, one uh, pro- uh, proximity factor is in Spanish as well. And I just had it translated not long ago into Chinese. Really? So I don't know. What, I didn't know. I that. don't know where that's going to go. Oh, uh, wow! But uh, our brother on the West Coast. Yes. Um, worked with me on that. And so he's been using it in his discipleship class already. That could be your biggest market yet. Uh, <laughs> China. Wow. It's fantastic. Well, Jim, this has been great. Uh, I know this has been very informative to people. And I, I think probably inspirational to some also who have that itch. You know, this podcast is called Better Roads because there are many roads we take in life. And as you know, not all of them are good. Some of it seems like we don't have any choice about those roads. We just do our best to navigate them. But we learn from all those roads. And, and God redemptively works through all those roads. But the thing I like to ask our guests here is, you know, what are some of the, maybe just a couple of the better roads you have chosen, that Jim Beard chose? You could say, you know, those are having the greatest impact. They're making the most positive impact making the most positive difference in my life. And I can look back and give thanks that I chose those roads. Could you tell us a little bit about those? 
I think developing an ear to hear what's in the heart of the father has to be at the top of my list. Um, I get choked up when I talk about uh, learning to listen to the heart of the father because we, oh my goodness, we, we mess our lives up and everything else because yes. we are stubborn to listen. Yes. We would rather be talking. Yes. Uh, you, you know, some people like to appear to be listening just so that when you take a breath, they can resume what they were saying. But the heart of the father is, is so enabling for us. You know, we, we learn what's there. We learn what, and, and what we find out, you know, my better road in life, the best road I've ever chosen in life has been the road to the father's heart. Because from there, I find out what life is all about. I find out what I'm supposed to be doing. I find out what pleases him. Mm -hmm. I find out what doesn't please him. And, you know, I always say, find out what's in the father's heart, give it permission to happen and then stay out of the way. Wow. And uh, once we find our way to the father's heart, uh, it, he's going to unlock some incredible um, stories within each one of us in different ways. It might be in the written form, might be in the spoken form, it might be musically, it might be other ways. He might, um, heighten a person's influence or expand their territory. But the main thing is that we find out what's in the father's heart. That's, that's all I want to know right now is what's in the father's heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was a, a teenager, I'll be, I'll be brief with this. When I was a teenager, um, I was kneeling by my bed and I said, and I was just having my devotions and I had this uncanny feeling like God was right there in the room with me. And he was asking me what I wanted. You know, he said, Jim, what, what would you like me to do for you? You name it and I'll do it. Of course, I didn't know the whole story of Solomon. <laughs> you know, then uh, I might've asked for wisdom and might've <laughs> helped me a little more. Better. But what I asked for is I said, Lord, I'm kind of a skinny runt and I'd like to, be a good athlete. And uh, it's just like God said, why? I says, because if you're good at something, people will listen to you. And I want to tell them about you. Mm. And uh, so I marked that day in my life. I was 16 years old. And I went on to be on five state championship teams in high school. I was a state individual state champion. Um, I I would be at a track meet across the state and people would come up and say, Hey beard, you pray for me. I'm getting ready to run. And this wow. is the enemy. Oh, the other team. Yeah. <laughs> and so we started a fellowship of Christian athletes there in rapid city. And, uh, it was the first chapter I think ever there. And it was really great. And then later in life, uh, God asked me the same question and, and I was a little more mature then I think, and, and I gave him an answer and he fulfilled it to the T. And lately I felt like God asked me again, Jim, what do you want? And I said, I just, I just want to download what I hear from you into many vessels somehow. Mm. And so that's, that's where I'm at. And proximity to the father's heart is the key. That's my better road. Wow. Jim, what a powerful testimony. I want to thank you for unpacking your life and your journey and particular this matter of how God's he is downloading to you 
and you're placing that then on paper and in the screen and format, who knows, maybe someday in a movie. And I thank the Lord for Hugh and for the, for the paths you've taken. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me as your guest. I look forward to being here with you today. Great. And we thank all of our listeners today for joining us also on Better Roads. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to Better Roads with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Join us next time as we explore how God is part of another person's journey.